Amen. Okay, I'd like to start this, this morning with a story that I heard about a group of pastors. They had uh, started meeting together, and uh, you see, pastoring is difficult, so sometimes it's nice to have peers to, to relate to. And so these three pastors are meeting there to talk about kind of what's going on in their churches, and then also to, to hold another accountable uh, just with life. So they're talking, they're sharing some things, they're like, all right, let's, let's get into the, the accountability time. Okay, so the first one goes, he says, hey, this is kind of hard for me to share, but I'm going to trust you guys. Uh, you know, after um, we do communion, and then there's a little bit of wine left every Sunday, instead of dumping it out, I just drink all the wine. And then I feel a little better and more, a little more relaxed. And the other two pastors are like, whoa, um, okay. And so then the second guy feels a little more freedom, and he says, okay, I have something I want to confess that you guys can talk to me about. I, um, when, when the Sunday's over and then the offering comes in, I like to take just a little bit. Just, I just get that little excitement. I just take a little bit of the offering for myself. So the guys look at him, and okay, and the pastors, so then they, they look to the third guy, and he's kind of sitting there, and they you know, like, what's, what's up? And he says, well, guys, I've been working this for years, and I can't wait to get out of here because uh, I'm an insatiable gossip. <laughs> Besetting sin, that's what we're talking about, Besetting sins. But saying is something you're prone to. It's something that, that you fall back on, that, that is a, a temptation that's consistent in your life or an area that you rely on instead of God, a place that you go. Um, it reminds me of another thing that used to happen. Uh, this one's for real. Um, I would, back when Walnut Creek was a little bit smaller, we used to have all our staff come together for meetings. And so we'd, we'd all come together, and uh, Pastor Tim Rood, he would uh, he'd lead the meeting, and um, if you came in late every time, well, for, for a long time, every time, uh, he would pause. When he came in late, whoever was talking, he would pause, and then like, he'd have them quiet down. And he'd say, oh, oh, John, thank you for joining us. And I'd be like, yeah. He said, and he would say, oh, you know, JC was just finishing sharing uh, his besetting sins. It's your turn. <laughs> Every time. Like, okay, Tim. Uh, I heard that many, many times, unfortunately. <laughs> besetting sins, that, yeah, they, they, these things that we go back to, that we rely on. And I share that because Abraham, uh, if you haven't been with us for the Genesis series, or you haven't read Genesis before, or maybe you're just like, I don't know, I don't remember that, Abraham's done this before. He has passed off his wife to Pharaoh back earlier in the promises, back uh, 25 years ago. He did the same, the same method of trying to escape what he thought was his death. He thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hurt, I'm going to die, and so he, 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 because of my wife, they're going to want my wife, so they're just going to kill me that they could take my wife. So I'll say she's my sister. And that's what happens again. He's afraid. And so he says, I'm going to pass off Sarah. Then they won't kill me. They won't hurt me. Um, <clears throat> and so we're going to work through that. We're going to work through what, what Abraham's decision, what Brown's decision, and, and how that is helpful even for us now. And this is what I hope you remember. When you go back and think, what did he talk about? Uh, is this, is that your sin, it hurts your witness, but it does not prohibit you from making a difference for God's kingdom. It does hurt your witness, but does not prohibit you from making a difference for God's kingdom. Okay, four sections of this text. We're going to start out with the pattern of sin. Uh, the pattern of sin, they'll spend most of our time on this. Then a little bit, we're going to look at the, the proper repentance, poor repentance, and then prayer to God. Okay, so patterns of sin. Abraham, he's 100 years old, and uh, he's taking this new land. So he's heading south, uh, and he, he's going, he gets into Philistine country in these towns, and he comes to Abimelech. And Abimelech is also rich and also powerful, and then... Uh, he gets afraid, 
he passes off. He says, I'm going to die. He doesn't actually say that, but he thinks it, and so he passes off his wife again. So he's supposed to love, cherish, protect his wife, but instead he just enters her in to Abimelech's harem. And so at this point, you could queue up JC's sermon from March 5th called When Faith Falters. That's online. It's really good. Um, but there's more to it this time. So it's not just what happened with Pharaoh. Uh, it's, uh, it's in the future. So this isn't the same story retold. It's actually another situation. And there are some pretty important differences. So from then to now. So for instance, uh, Abe, in the beginning, was um, just kind of beginning in his journey. But now he's incredibly rich, incredibly powerful. So he's, he's a strong man uh, heading to this new area. He also has more clarity on God's promises. Before he had this promise that, that my descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. But he didn't know how that was going to happen. And so you see him kind of stumble through that a little bit. But now he has a specific promise. In the next year, uh, through my wife, not through Hagar, not through anything else, I'm going to have a child. So he's got clarity on God's promises, how God's going to use him. He's also seen God do incredible things. So there's a number of them. But one of them is uh, he like when his nephew Lot got taken. So his nephew, nephew Lot's city got, got um, attacked. His, they got taken. And so with this little band of 318 men, he goes and he wins this crazy battle. Uh, and it wasn't that their men were like such good fighters. Maybe they were. But the numbers don't pan out. It's that God did it. God worked through him uh, to save Lot. So he's seen God do that. The other thing that's important to know, another difference, is that Sarah is no longer young, but she is old. <laughs> And uh, she was probably a little bit older before, but now she's very old. She's 90. And so when she gets taken, it's probably not because of her youthful good looks. She's more maybe in the Proverbs 31. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's probably more what Sarah was like. So there's all these differences to where he was then to where he is in his life situations now. So when you consider all those factors, what you should see is, and what we all, is obvious, is that Abraham has more reason to trust God, not less. He has more reason to see that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. He has more reason to say, Sarah's my wife. And we can, we can make this alliance, we can do whatever, um, and way less reason to pass her off. In fact, he puts the promise of God at risk. I think... You can even see Satan's hand in this. Like Satan's like, hey, if we can, if we can get Abimelech to, to impregnate Sarah, which I don't, that would be miraculous too, that would also be crazy, but, like, but you just see it's like all of a sudden there's this question mark. Did, did Sarah really, is this really the, the line that God promised? Did what God said to Abraham actually come true? Can anyone trust what God says? So that's the position that Abraham puts as he gives Sarah, his wife, off to this other man. So last week, uh, Pastor Joel Swanson, he talked about Lot's daughters. And so there's kind of this ugly scene that, that he talks about. And what he talked about the daughters is partially is that they had good intentions, but evil means to justify it. So it's like they, they had a good idea. They want to like keep on the family line, but then uh, they, they work through incest, through evil. And I think maybe Abraham sees a greater good here. Like if I can just stay alive, my wife can stay alive, then maybe then God can do the things that he says he's going to do. Maybe. I think really that's just fear. He's, he's afraid for himself. And I, th- I look at that and I'm like, what an idiot. You know, like, Abraham, you've done all these good things and you're, and you're going to do good things. He doesn't know that yet. We know that. He's going to do good things. But like, man, what a fool he was. But also, I'm not Abraham. Like, I'm not tempted the same way that Abraham is. And I bet if Abraham looked at my life, he would say, you fool. Like, why did you do that? And how about this? And what he does is he gives himself 
temporary comfort, temporary relief, and he gets to put his fear aside because he says, I, I, she's not my wife, she's just my sister. So let's think about ourselves. Uh, when you feel afraid like Abraham, what do you do? Is there something that you run to that you think, this will help me, this will give me comfort? Something that's different than God. Like, yeah, I run to God, it's A+. Plus. You do that consistently, man, wonderful. But at times, I bet you're not doing that. So what do you run to? You know, if you feel anxious, what do you run to? If you're humiliated, what do you run to? Or you're bored, what do you run to? Stress of life is building up, what do you run to? When you fail, what do you go to? Or when you're afraid, how do you respond? Honestly, do you turn to God, or are there certain patterns in your life that you rely on, you go back to, and, and, and this is the thing that, that you've leaned into your whole life? Our brains are, are really interesting things. I did some reading on the brain this week preparing for this because I want to know what's happening in our brain that makes us go into this pattern of sin. Like, why is, why is sin being a pattern in our life a thing? What makes me want to do one thing and someone else do another? Why are we different? Um, why do we do what we do? Well, first we got to remember is that we sin because we have a sin nature. So, like, there's sin inside us. It's, there's sin inside you. David says in Psalm 51, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Um, it, it's, it, Romans 5 it says that, that it's like you're, you're born into it. So you sin partially because it's, it's already inside of you. But the other side of it is we also choose to sin. It's not just that. We also make choices that are sinful. Uh, no one makes us do it. And so as I talk about the brain, I want to lay this foundation that... that that no person is free from the weight of your actions. So the things that you've done that were in rebellion to God are yours. And while that is true, it's also true that because of our upbringing, because of our experiences, because of things that life has taught us, or we have taught ourselves, or our parents are taught us, or friends have taught us, that there are propensities. So there's things that, there's patterns that get built into you that you start to rely on that are separate from God. They're, they're like... From my limited understanding, so if, if you're a doctor here, forgive me. <laughs> um, my limited understanding is that we have these pathways, we have these ruts in our brains that, that, that we're more likely to follow. So like, this is the decision I made, the decision I'm going to continue to make. And the time that these pathways are most developing, duh, is when we're little kids. So at the age of um, three, I think it said that you have double the synopsis in your brain and then they, they start to, to fade away as you don't use them. Your brain starts to say, let's be more efficient. It gets rid of some, and so you have these consistent pathways they're going to take. So there's synaptic pruning that, that happens. And so your brain, it can change as you get older. It's just slower and harder. And all that to say, all I'm trying to, to, to imply is, is that what you have experienced is shaping what you're going to do in the future. So what you experience as a child, and as you continue to grow up, that is, that is making you lean certain directions and have... Um, certain tendencies. And I was thinking about that. One implication of this, and that we see as adults, one is how we act, but also this is where generational sin comes from. Like, why, when I look at my kids, one of the things that be most frustrating is when they sin like I sin. <laughs> like, ah, like I, it bothers me, and I'm like, but I know why they do that. I do that. Like, that, I'm passing something on. Uh, and Abraham, it's funny, is that he, this is actually, it's not funny, it's terrible, but he, uh, Isaac, in Genesis chapter 26, we're going to see him do the same thing with Rebekah that Abraham does with Sarah. This generational sin, it gets passed on. Again, he saw his father do this thing, or he heard about his father doing this thing, and he had the same fear, and he does the same thing with his bride. 
And so this is a potential opportunity, but also a threat when you're a parent, because that means your kids are going to learn your good things, but they're also going to see your failures and how you deal with sin, how you deal with failure, and how you deal with, with all those, those hard areas of life, <clears throat> because we're being trained. Our brain has trained us, but also we've been training ourselves. So teachers train you, friends train you, and your experiences are training you. Uh, So you have a a way that you're more likely to go, and God, he made our brains. So I'm telling you this, not like, oh, can you believe our our brains are so annoying? It's like, no, 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 God, these are wonderful, beautiful things that God has done in us. And also, that when someone becomes a Christian, uh, they become a new person. So the old is gone, the new has come. Now, that does not mean that your brain immediately changes. It can. God can heal you in certain areas. Like, man, I used to always go this way, and that's not even a temptation anymore. I, I know many, many people that's been the case. But I've also seen people who are continuing to battle in the same areas before Christ and after Christ have to keep fighting. So why does this matter? Uh, it matters because it helps you understand yourself. Like, why do I do the things that I do? Uh, Charles Kettering, he said, a problem well stated is half solved. When you, you know yourself, you know, oh, this is where I want to go. This is the thing that, I, that I'm going to lean into or I can see myself leaning into. And, and actually, like, physiologically, this is actually a thing and spiritually it's a thing. And so we need help. We need help to, to retrain, to, to create new habits, to trust in God and trust in God's spirit and his word. I think about for me, how does this play out in my life? Well, things that I fall back on when I get stressed, when things are difficult for me or I'm discouraged or I'm overwhelmed, is I just look to find comfort. I just think, all those things are over here. I'm going to wrap them up as nice as I can, and I'm going to avoid them. So like, uh, get done with the day, and I'm just going to sit and do nothing for a while. Just finish my tasks so I can be slothful. And it's not that God's anti-rest, it's that my goal is not to honor God, my goal is comfort. See, so I, I, I look and, and I just think, if I can just get through this, I can have more comfort. But I don't think that's what God wants me. It's just a way for me to justify my sloth. So Abraham, he needs to trust God with his life. And he has a legitimate reason to fear, but instead of, in his fear, he shouldn't have said, here's my wife. He should have said, uh, here I am. You know, like, let's make this alliance, whatever we're going to do. But he doesn't. He doesn't protect his wife. He deceives Abimelech. And he chooses self-will over obedience. My plan is better than God's plan. He's proud. So my question to you is, where do you run when you've had a hard day? Like, what's the thing that you go to? And what do you rely on when you stop trusting in God? What's your alliance? Like, how, how do you... In some ways, you, you know that this is the thing for you. Is you, could, you, when you. When you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this again? Uh, it's probably an area that you need to work on. Or, I'm never going to do that again. I keep doing that. I'm never going to do that again. And you might be pretty discouraged about that. So you think like, oh, I looked at that website again. I'm never going to do that again. Or, I, I, I got frustrated, and I had a drink, and I had too many drinks. And I had, I had a smoke. I, I called my ex-girlfriend and my ex-boyfriend because I wanted to feel loved. Or, I, I spent a bunch of money I didn't have. Or, I, I stayed at work when God wanted me to go home and deal with it. What do you run to when things go wrong? What's, what's your vice? And whatever way you answer that question, it's probably your besetting sin. It's, it's, it's a clear weakness. And so when you fall back on that sin, you, you know the result. You've experienced the result. What is the result? Uh, you probably feel hurt. You probably feel shame. You probably feel alone. You probably feel isolated or some degree of, of some of those. Uh, and so even when we get down, sometimes what that does is then we do it again. We're like, oh, I feel so low. And then we go back to even further into that place uh, even more. 
And I share all that because I think that, that this story in Genesis should help us. Like, it's not just that we live in this life where we're always going to go back to this place. It's the opposite. Like this, what we see in this story is that Abraham screws up and then God uses him. Like God's not like, I'm done with you. Like I'm so annoyed with you. No, it's not. He's just like us. He, he, he has, he's seen these promises of God. And he's seen God come through. Uh, and then God says, because of all the promises I've already made you, I'm going to come through on those promises. I'm still going to deliver what I already said I was going to do. And we have great promises. And God says, I'm still going to deliver the promises for you. I've already demonstrated my love for you at the cross. You're already part of this royal priesthood. This, uh, you've already been made whole, made new. We have great promises for God that we can rely on. And so yes, Abraham, he screws up, and then God uses him. You might screw up. You're going to screw up. God can still use you. We jump to the New Testament, you see this example with the Apostle Paul. So in Romans 7, Paul, he gives this whole speech about his inner self and his outer self and how they don't match, they match up. Like, oh, why am I this guy? So let's listen to what, how he describes himself. This is Romans 7, starting verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, and it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it's sin that lives in me. So I discover this law, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. My inner self, I delight in the law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner by the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. It's like he, he describes this, this battle. Like this, is, this is this epic battle between like what he wants to do and what he actually does. And you, you, like, you hear the tension. What a wretched man I am. He feels all of it. He said, I, I know what I want to do, but I, at the same time, I, I can't do it. I'm doing all these other stupid things, the other foolish things. So what's his conclusion? His conclusion here, he, said he, he looks to Christ, and then in Romans 8, he begins this way. He says, therefore, because of Jesus, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What's, what's the truth that Paul goes back to? He says, I, I don't like the things that I do where I've been. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. So this is what it means to be a Christian is we say, oh, like I know good, I understand good, but I also understand that I'm evil. And because of my evil, I should be punished. Like I, I deserve all the things that come to me. But Jesus says, listen, I've set you free from the law. I've set you free from punishment. How did I do it? When Jesus goes to the cross. He gives his life. He takes the punishment that we deserve on our behalf so that we can experience freedom. So that when we screw up, we can look back and say, oh, what a wretched man I am, but there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as Christians, we don't want to walk around with our head down, depressed, um, looking at the floor, thinking I'm, I'm a screw up all the time. No, and we're going to hear about this in First Peter, that, that God, he's changed you, he's transformed you, and there's no condemnation for you anymore. Jesus took it already. And so as you've recognized these areas of sin in your life, what should you do? Like, I know this is an area for me. How do I handle it? 
Uh, there's probably a much more customized plan. But in a very general sense, what should you do? Identify the sin, so know what you go to. But then think about the patterns that lead to that sin. Because that sin, it, it's not happening in isolation. It's not like, man, I had this great day, and I did all these things, and then I went and I did this thing. It's like, no. Typically, there's a buildup. There's something that's happening in your life. There's a, a pressure. There's a fear. There's something that's happening, and it's building and building, and then it happens again. And so you want to identify what patterns in my life lead me to fall into that sin, or what things are happening right before, the week before, the day before. Third, uh, identify a new plan. <laughs> it seems so simple, right? Oh, yeah, easy. But think about, okay, as, as I'm going in this pathway, what should I do? Well, maybe there's someone I need to talk to. I have a friend who understands what I'm going through. They've been through it before, or they just know me. So they can pray for you. They can ask you good questions. Go to God. God, I'm feeling this way right now, so you want to pray. And then I think you want to also think about what should replace this void. Like, I'm going to go do this unless something else happens. And so it's helpful to think, God, I know that you want to use me in these areas. I'm going to keep going back to this place. So fill the void with a different action. And then finally, you also want to remember that you have a choice. It can feel like we're just, this is just the outcome of my life. Like, I'm just going to have to do this. Um, I'm predisposed to this area. It's true, maybe, but you have a choice. And God has given you that ability. <clears throat> Sometimes as Christians, we think age will make me better. Like, I, I, I know I feel this way now, but as I get older, I won't face all these same tensions that I face right now. Uh, and that's not true. Age does not sanctify you. It does not make you more like Christ. Obedience does. And so if you obey, yeah, the more times that you, you walk behind the Lord, you say, Jesus, whatever you say I'm going to do, then that's true. Uh, but I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 12. It says, uh, verse 11, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So not everyone experiences the peaceful fruit of righteousness when you're disciplined. Like, oh, that was, I got dis- that was hard. Like, I, I faced this thing. That was difficult. You actually, you take that difficulty and you say, oh, and I have to be changed. Like I have, to, I have to lean into that pain that I felt. And as you do that, the benefit is this peaceful fruit of righteousness. And, so, but, and that's not the only verse. That as, we, as we get older, we want to say, Lord, I want to continue to obey you. And as you do that, I think these things do get easier. But it doesn't just happen by chance. It's not just, uh, as I'm older, these temptations become less. All right, let's keep moving forward. Let's keep moving forward. Proper repentance. So this is verses 3 through 10. And that's why I want to highlight a couple things here. So uh, just kind of move through it a little bit quickly, even though it's a lot of the story. First, what I want you to know is that Sarah was, was given um, to Abimelech, and I think the most likely reason is that it was an alliance of two kingdoms. So this is a marriage alliance. So Genesis 12, it seemed like she was just beautiful, and he, he thought she was going to take her. But now it seems like I'm afraid, and so what I can do is I can just combine our kingdoms by, by making this, by sacrificing my wife, in a sense. But Abimelech, he was a pagan king. So he's hanging into the, the area of the Philistines, and, and he's a pagan king. And you're going to see this name, Abimelech. You might be like, I think I've heard that name before, maybe, because it's like Pharaoh, we, we think. That it's like Pharaoh, that there weren't lots of Abimelechs, that, it, that Pharaoh was a title. Uh, and this title means my father is king. So the, this, this king has the title. Abimelech also has that as his name, how he's identified. Third thing to note here is that Abimelech, he didn't, he didn't know that he was sinning. He tells God, he says, I did this with a clear conscience. Like, I had no idea like, that's who this person was. And God's like, I know, I hear you, I agree with you. And even though he knew that, it wouldn't have stopped. That had he, um, 
had he been active, had he been had sex with Sarah, it still would have been adultery. So just ignorance is not, um, is not clear sin. But God, he protects Abimelech, and he really protects Sarah. He, 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 he saves them from this pain. Psalm 19.12, it says, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. And so I want to be careful. Like, there's probably areas in your life that you've sinned, and you're like, I had no idea. And I like that prayer from David, just this reminder, there's going to be things we screw up in that you didn't know. You can still say, Lord, I need your help. You still have to cleanse me from that thing. So Abimelech, he doesn't know, and luckily God protects him from it. And then I think this is maybe the most convicting, is Abimelech is more obedient than Abraham. So Abraham's told to go do this thing, go to this land, start, you know, and he kind of does it, and then he gets afraid, and he, 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 he screws up. He acts in his self-reliance. But Abimelech, he hears from God, and then he acts. Can you imagine if, if once, Ab- once Abimelech heard what happened in the situation, if then Abraham was like, yeah, I've got a great, mighty, and powerful God, Abimelech would have been like, what? <laughs> like, you were totally, you, like, you sacrificed your own wife because you didn't trust this almighty, all-powerful, good God that you're talking about. So, so Abraham, he's lost his witness to this, this pagan because he acted more righteous than Abraham did. So he's got no place to stand. Abimelech, he's been more obedient. Uh-huh. But what we're thankful about, I'm thankful about, is that God's plan for Abraham was not conditional on performance. So it wasn't Abraham, if you do this, then this is going to happen. Then these descendants are going to come. Then you're going to see this line. God said, I'm going to do this. And so in God's sovereignty, we actually see God following through with his plan despite Abraham trying to screw it up. And so he appears in this dream. And so he comes in the dream and he talks to Abimelech and Abimelech responds. So God says, even despite all these sinful things happening, I'm still going to let my plan come through. And so you and I, we need to be reassured about this too because there's going to be times that, that people around us who have no faith in God, no faith in Christ, are acting more righteous than we are. Uh, and we can say, okay, I did screw up. I do need to repent. But God can even use those situations. If you're sitting here thinking, well, God's sovereign. He can use my screw-ups. Then I should just live how I want to. Romans, Romans 6 is pretty clear about that. It's, he says, he answers the question, should I just continue to sin so grace can multiply? He's like, by no means. Of course not. No, no, you want to reflect God. Uh, even though God can use our screw-ups. Finally, Abimelech, he repents. The section is called Proper Repentance because Abimelech, he actually repents. God speaks to him, and he, he's like, oh. And he has this conversation with God. He's like, I didn't know God. God's like, yeah, but it's a thing. And then he says, okay. And, and what does he do? Early the next morning, right away, he gets his servants together. He says, I, I had this dream. And they probably knew about, about uh, what had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're afraid. Right away, they're afraid, and they say, oh, man, go. So he goes to, to Abraham, and he goes to Sarah. He says, take your wife back. Why would you do this to me? That was really terrible of you. Um, but here's your wife, and I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you animals. Uh, I did not touch your wife. Because true repentance is made evident with action. Like Repentance is not a, a cerebral thing. It's actually, it starts there, but then it moves in to action. Uh, true repentance it doesn't make excuses. True repentance, it shows humility. So he, he, you see all that, and then we have that as the contrast beca- behind Abraham's poor repentance. So Abraham, he, he has terrible repentance. This is what he, Abraham says. So he says, why would you do this to me? Abraham, why would you do this to me? And so verse 11, Abraham replied, I thought, there's absolutely no fear of God in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife. 
Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever you go, we go and say about me, he is my brother. So Abraham's question, why would you do this to me? And at this point, what Abraham should have said was, I am so sorry. I was afraid, and I put my wife in this position, and I put you and your whole country in this position. I was wrong. That's what he should have done. He does not do that. This is what Abraham says. Why did you do this, Abraham? He says, I thought there was no fear of God. I didn't trust you guys. <laughs> of course you didn't fear God, and so I had to lie. Uh, how offensive would that have been? And they did fear God because he appears in the dream, and then they're, immediately they take action. So they did fear God. He was wrong about that. Uh, second, he says, and I was right. She is my half-sister. So stop getting mad about this. Uh, you're actually wrong to be mad about this beyond that, so, so get over it. And then third, so he, he takes blame uh, towards the nation. He, he takes blame towards Abimelech. And then he says, and it's God's fault. He says, um, so when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, that word wander is only ever used in a negative context. So every other reference you see in the Old Testament where it says that, that people wandered, it's not a good thing. And he says, God had me wander, and so I had to go about it this way. So it's not my fault, it's God's fault. It's terrible. Hey, Abraham, he doesn't, he doesn't see it. And at this point, you might be thinking, Abraham, you're toast. You know, like, God can't use you, you're proud, and uh, you're, you just live in fear. But that's not how God works, we can learn. When we sin, it is hard to own it. It is hard to say, it was my fault. Uh, you know, we're never more creative than when we're justifying our own sin, and that's Abraham here. And so God says, hey, but I can still use you. You can't make up for your sin, uh, but you can own your sin. So see, we want to see our sin, and we want to repent to God, turn back to God. So let's look at So God says, I'm going to have Abraham pray for you. So prayer to God, verse 17 and 18. Then Abraham prayed to God. And this is, what, this is what God told Abimelech. He says, go to the prophet, have him pray for you. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slaves, so they could bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Because God, he's not done with Abraham. He still has these plans for him. He's still going to use him. And so Abraham prays, and then they're healed. So, but this is important to note. It wasn't Abraham that healed them. Abraham was just the vessel that God chose to use to heal. So the, God does the healing of all of these people, and they're made better, but he still chooses to use Abraham. And so uh, all this to say, when we sin, we screw up, and you're like, man, how could God use me? Why would God want to use me? He does. He does. And he, he can use that sin, but even more so, he wants to use you as you, as you magnify him, as you reflect him. And so as you repent and you turn away from it, you get to reflect the character and nature of God, that he's a merciful God, that he's a gracious God. First uh, Peter chapter 2, it, it, it describes us like this. So those who have put their faith in Christ and understand what Jesus has done, you've been transformed from death to life. He says this about you. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so, you may, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is all present tense. Who, who are you? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're set apart. You're different. 
You've been transformed. So what should you do? He says, he says, you've come out of the darkness into the light, and I want you to keep living that way. So verse 11, what should we do? You've received mercy? Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. So these desires are still in you. Even though, you've been, even though you are these things, these things are warring against you. So what should you do? Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe your good works and glorify God in the day he visits. Someday when they see God, they're going to say, oh, there were some Christians, there were some people that, that were followers of Jesus that actually I saw, and God, you were so good to them, and they reflected that in the way that they lived. We want to be those people that reflect God to the world around us, that people would understand the character and nature of God, that they would give glory to God. Uh, and it's helpful. These are, these are identifying things about you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his possession so that you can proclaim the praises of him. <clears throat> so how can we apply this? Like, what, what, what should we do? Remember I said, when you leave, what I want you to do, I want you to remember that your sin, it does hurt your witness, but it does not prohibit you from making a difference in God's kingdom. Know that God wants to keep using you. So you're like, oh, think about this last week. It was a bad week. Um, God wants to use you. Continue. So we want to fight against the flesh. So I kind of gave those, those very brief, you go way deeper in all of these, but identifying your sin See the patterns that lead to your sin. Have a plan. Remember, you have a choice. Uh, second, when you fail, repent. Like, as quick as you can, Lord, I see that I did this. Walk the other direction. Trust God with that. And then finally, don't give up. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us enough that you would send your son that you knew all about the sins we've already committed, that you also know about the sins we're going to commit. Lord, help us to, to walk in faith, to abide in you, to find the great joy as we do that, to know that, that life is not about right and wrong, but it's about walking with you and knowing you. Lord, help us not get caught up in trying to be perfect for the sake of being perfect, but to understand that we get to represent you and it's a great pleasure to be that person. Lord, help us to learn from Abraham and how you still used him. Lord, and see that you can use us today and, and help us to trust in your great, good, and gracious promises. Uh, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.